Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just stone go set stuff. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. We'll try to come stronger than the Longhorns did on Saturday, that's for sure, on this week's edition of the Blitz. Gentlemen, you only get a first chance to make a first impression. And it's safe to say the first impression of the Tom Herman era in the eyes of many was a big steaming turd. <laughs> Texas loses 51-41 to Maryland. I don't know how if anybody saw that coming. If you saw that coming, I hope you went to Vegas. Fear the turd. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty Thank good. Thank you, Matt, for making yeah. the jokes. You got to get, uh, yeah, get that in. Didn't plan on starting the season off on this note, but here we are yet again. Going to discuss a debacle in so many ways, shapes, and forms. I don't even really know where to start, but we will do our best. And by the way, we got a game to talk about because Texas plays this weekend against San Jose State, trying to get up off the mat. And oh. You got one more rod before what we thought was going to be the real one against Southern Cal in the Coliseum. But uh, safe to say the non-conference slate just got pretty interesting. Yeah, I got to tell you, at this point, <laughs> I have no idea how the season's going to turn out. Yeah. I'm so scared. Because it could ease it. They looked like the five and seven team that you know we saw last year, which was obviously the the reason that Charlie Strong is no longer on the forty acres. And I didn't see the Tom Herman effect, or if it was, it was a minuscule effect. Very, it was not as profound minuscule. as I thought it was going to be. And if that is the case, then Texas is just a five to six win team. And I think the schedule is tougher this this year than it was last year. With no Deontay Foreman, mind you. Yep. Is this the bump in the road or a sign of things to come? We will break it all down here on the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. Not the man behind the glass, but the man that sits to my right now as uh, we're going on video this week in the reincarnation of the Blitz, our first video. Matt Butler, what's up, Matt? Oh, actually, oh. was thinking along the same lines y'all were talking about this game, and it sort of just looked like the same players from last season had a couple months, and they were the same players this season out there on the field. So, they're big, interesting. They're bigger and they're bigger and bigger and faster. I think, right? Is that what everybody was telling me? Aren't they bigger and faster? Yeah, well, I haven't That's seen the, the measurements. The conditioning coach kept saying that they're bigger and faster. Well, I didn't. I didn't see bigger and faster. You could see different bodies. During mm. fall camp, so they just changed their bodies. They weren't <laughs> different big. bodies. What's the point? Of not getting bigger and faster. You should uh, be getting bigger and faster or more explosive. Know. You they, know, I I don't know why they were it. not the the fastest team out there. They're, yeah, they didn't look the most athletic at times. Yeah, or the Maryland most instinctive speed. or the most physical. When the Big Ten teams show you that they look, they're faster than a Texas team or the most prepared. Yeah. Is, yeah, an East Coast team. Not even. It's like they're um, they had to. It was a move up yeah, in athleticism. It really to the was. Big Ten, yeah. I mean, that was shocking. There's a number of ways we can attack this game. Uh, and I just want to start by saying this. When I think about last year and the season opener, I don't think from opener to opener you can have two more contrasting outcomes to start yeah. a season. Good point. You know, last year was a Sunday night under the lights and Notre Dame's in town and Texas gets the big win. And... You know, everybody thought it was off and running. And then as P.J. Locke told me at Big 12 Media Days, then we went out to Cal and boo-booed all over ourselves, and things <laughs> kind of went downhill after that. Yeah. And P.J. PJ did actually use the word boo-boo, so just want to yeah. throw that in there. Well, there you go. Not paraphrasing there. That was a, that was <laughs> a direct one quote. words. Yeah. No, no. Love P.J. Locke. Uh, but then this year, Rod, everything's great, and it starts out so well. You get the pick six by Holton Hill, and you think, man, this mm -hmm. thing's off and running. I think we all did. And it pretty much went downhill from <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, it was. I, I was, I, I was probably speechless. Yeah, Holden Hill had time. shins on the. Uh, he, did, he did have shins. Yes, both times, time I was yelling, "Where to go, Cotton?" 
That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all he is. He grew me. shins in the offseason, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. It's a miracle. He's flying. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Houghton Hill actually didn't have a great game, um, actually, in terms of like from a defensive perspective. Exactly. That's what's so funny he about He made games. a lot of plays, though. Well, we've seen the last three years from Texas football times because you it's odd. I love the way that the variance in football really can skew an outcome. Now, Texas has been on the negative end of that for the last few years, but where you have 80 plays on both sides of the ball, we're talking 150 snaps, 160 yeah. snaps. Yet, if you were really bad on just, say, a handful, five here and five here on both sides of the ball, if those result in points, it can skew entire outcomes or perceptions. So, say yeah. a guy doesn't maybe have a great – game throughout but he makes two big plays it skews you to believe that he had a great game when it also on the other way is say you're doing having good defense for 70 plays but on those 10 is a broken assignment a pick six a block kick it can get those chunk points and you can end up really despite being successful on say 80 percent or 90 percent of the plays still lose because your mistakes are that bad and taken advantage of when it goes to uh the stat jeff Jeff, you had on the on Horns twenty four seven about explosive plays. Yep, Texas yep. won the explosive play battle thirteen to twelve, which, as we know, we talked we talk about a lot yeah. on this show because of the late great Bill Walsh, and we love Bill Walsh and his football philosophy and his book Finding the Winning Edge talks about percentages of winning the games if you win the explosive play battle and incrementally the more explosives you have than the other team, the percentages of you winning how much that increases by. Yeah. Texas won the explosives. 13 to 12. The problem there, Matt, as you're talking about, Texas scored on one of their 13 explosive one. plays. Who know? That was a 33 yard touchdown yeah. from Bouchel to Foreman. Maryland scored on five of their explosives. There you yeah. go. And Cashed then when you in. look at the fact that you had three non offensive scores, so throughout the whole game, you only had a couple drives. You had that one where you brought up Foreman, and then you had a trash TD late. So, really, in between, you had maybe two drives that really resulted in something from all 13 of those explosive plays. It's you need to finish drives. So, in addition right. to having the big plays finish drives, just have the ability to stack those up and then get something out of it instead of, say, a field goal that then gets blocked and comes back and then you get nothing you just wasted time to give the other team points the advantage it just doesn't reward you in the overall gameplay and and it's we talk about misleading numbers and misleading stats you know tom herman referenced after the game they did really well against maryland on third down Mm. which they did they Uh, did third down conversions like three was three of eleven yeah but you want to talk about two of those third downs maryland did convert one was a 19-yard run by Tyro Pigram in the second quarter that set up a touchdown to make it 27-7. to mm-hmm. And the other one was the third 19 late in the game that Kasim Hill hits DJ Moore for a 40-yard touchdown yeah. to set up or to, for 40 yards to set up a touchdown that puts Maryland up 10-44-34. Kill the momentum. Yeah. So 3 of 11, yeah, great. Third down defense percentage-wise was That's awesome. Good. But two of the three you gave up killed you and those are the things that where you find learn about a team are is this going to regress to the mean is the production going to overall balance out and then you end up being able to just play where you don't benefit from the say bad luck or are you a team that has bad habits so you this isn't bad luck this is just the situation that you put yourself in whenever you don't have a successful play i I think it's got to be more about the the game plan going in it was just a subpar game plan in the in because yeah. and I think there's different and we can talk special teams defense and offense but Texas's advantage in this game should have just been you have better athletes than Maryland period at every level of the offense defense and on special teams you have better athletes. so in the end even though you had mental errors even though you know there are some coaching mistakes man in the end you would think that at home Texas would be able to just because their great athleticism overcome and that didn't happen right. I didn't see Texas able to overcome with just their sheer athleticism or playmaking ability and that then I'm now I'm questioning whether Texas has those difference makers yeah those game changing players I mean where are they I mean and who are they like I and now so now I'm questioning whether Texas because none of those guys stepped up uh, to end up being like kind of a, a go to guy on offense or and I think that's what how would you want to be my go to guy <laughs> but uh, no I think ultimately that is going to end up affecting the identity of this offense the identity usually ends up uh, revolving around a go to presence uh, at wide receiver uh, running back not a little guy that you know moves the chains but somebody that changes the game. 
And I think that's Chris Warren that kind of changes the game. But he, he's obviously not trusted by his head coach. So he didn't get the foot, he, football. And the coach doesn't trust the running game because he abandoned the running game. And the offensive line now, even pass protection, they're not trustworthy. So I don't – and I have no idea. And all, and all of this happening with an offensive guru like Tom Herman kind of watching from the sideline. And they scored 20 points. 20 points? Man, and that's a big that's, part of talking about when you brought up maybe the idea of being out coached. And there, there, these are certain situations where coaching really can make a difference. Because when you once you get into the week to week schedule, it's really tough to look at it. But it's certain games where you have a whole off season or you have a bowl season to prepare for, or even coming off of buys, you see the separation in the NFL coaches' records coming off of buys. Same thing with other players like Urban Meyer. Still, I don't even think he's yeah. lost one. So when you look at those things, then you can see, okay, well, Dark and a guy from the Harbaugh tree, a really big football yeah. guy like you can tell like this was that Super Bowl for him his team and it looked as if he was very prepared to see what to expect from Herman and Herman's in that idea that it makes total sense too we've had success we're going to w- run what we run and we're going to beat you at it the thing was is when you do that it sort of allows the opponent to at least get idea of what you do and it looked like Durkin was well prepared for that and now when you get into this week to week thing coach doesn't matter as much but in those certain situations which Texas will have a bye before uh uh, I think it'll actually be in a couple weeks, but you aren't going to have any of those for a whole Long eight time. weeks in a row. Yeah. So we'll see how the adjustments go after that. But that's the thing on both sides of the ball. And we'll talk about special teams because that's an entirely different Agreed. conversation. And that's the thing that I look, I feel this. This is the kind of game where as a media member, based on what you say, like you feel dumb afterwards, <laughs> that, like you bought into X, Y, Drank and Z. Drank the Kool-Aid, man. Yeah. Makes me feel dumb that I bought into some of this yeah, stuff. Uh, two things, Matt. I want to get back to your point here in just a sec. Don't let me forget that. Okay. But when you look at this game as a whole, and when I left the stadium, I there were two games on my mind. I was thinking about the the K State game in 2007 and the UCLA game in 2010. Both home games that Texas as a double-digit ranked team lost that kind of weird stuff happened, and you're just like, I have no idea how this happened. Yeah. Like, I did not see this coming. And this was one of those. Mm -hmm. When I went back and watched the game, it felt more like the Cal game last year. And on this show, I roasted Charlie Strong and Vance Bedford for their game plan against Cal. I remember that. What, What Todd Orlando did, breaking it down, and I know Tom Herman said there were only a few things here and there. I would disagree with that because it was the errors when they were there defensively were egregious errors. And there were times, Rod, when they lined up, especially in their third down package, their dime package to blitz. I can't tell you what what was going on. Like, yeah. I can't tell you what the objective was. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to explain to me why in some of your alignments you got one down lineman in Puna Ford. You've got six guys loaded on one side, like from the overload. outside shoulder, the tackle yeah. to the hash. Not even a good overload look. It's yeah. like it looks like you're just on, like playing on the Xbox and trying to, like, get guys on one side of the field. <laughs> just like, maybe I'll get there before yeah. he gets rid of the ball. And. Just on offense, it just seemed like the left hand never really figured out what the right hand was doing. It's mm. like that didn't look like a power spread that I saw mm. at U of no, H. That, that looked like that looked like an air raid offense. Yeah, and a very mediocre one at that. So say one of the worst. It looked like a bad Big Twelve offense. Well, it? yeah, it, exactly. Because Shane Bouchelle <laughs> looked like he was just. I mean, by the end of the game, now we find out about the bruised shoulder, so maybe that can explain no, some it, of the things that he did. Because you saw, it seemed like as if he was going off of the lead option. It was nothing more than ten yards downfield and it was strictly within the framework of the offense, and he wasn't doing anything that I thought was diagnosing or making the right decision. If anything, every decision he personally made was staying, holding onto the ball too long or was misunderstanding yeah. the athleticism get to, and not getting away. I want to get to Bouchel in a minute, but that was the point I was going to make, Matt, is you talk about schemes and game plans. I can't tell you what the schemes and game plans were from Texas. I really yeah. can't. I can't tell you what objectives they went into that game. If that was your game plan going into the game, I can't tell you what they were trying to get done. I actually think that was, I, I hate to say it, I think that was their adjustment, which is sad. Because remember Tom Herman says, at first, the defense came out and gave us looks that we just didn't anticipate. We didn't, we weren't prepared for those. I remember him saying yeah. that in the post game. So they came out defensively, and Texas had to really kind of figure out, formulate a kind of a new game plan. And I agree with you. I'm trying to figure out, well, what was the purpose of the, the adjustment? What were you trying to exploit? What right. did you find defensively that they were doing that they made themselves vulnerable because they were doing this or this because it looked like 
Maryland just decided we're not going to give you the vertical. We're not going to give yeah. Shane Bouchelle the vertical no. throw. We'll give you the short to mid-range stuff. We'll give you that all day. If you want to yeah, dink and, we'll and dunk down exactly. the field and you want to try to make 10, 13, 14, it's, it's the Big 12 way of playing defense mm-hmm. that like we criticize. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't, we see that it just means you're on you're kind of bleeding your death it by paper cuts. It's a slow death. But, hey, we're going to make you drive it 13, 14 plays because somewhere along the line we're going to count on you screwing up. Your quarterback's going to miss a read. Your line's going to not pick up a blitz right. Fourth a, down. A wide receiver's going to miss a hot rate, right? Hot read. Something's going to happen that we're going to be able to take advantage of. And credit to Maryland. They were able to take advantage of those mistakes when Texas made them. But to the point about the offense of what it looked like, it looked like the 2010 Texas offense where you don't try to run the ball, you have no faith in the run game. So what did Greg mm. Davis do more often than not that year? Screen put it in Garrett Gilbert's yeah. hands and let's go with God. Yeah. 52 throws. Put it, in yeah. se- put, it in, State. put it in seven's hands and let's go with God and see what happens. Pretty much. It's interesting that you bring up that 2010 Rice game. Because um, this is the this is the team. Remember they had the fourth the four down. Four oh. down stuffed in the and he got Jared, stuffed by Rice four Norton downs in a row. Yeah. yeah, and I, I remember I remember us talking about that like right. in depth. It's about uh-huh. like man, that man, how can you not get you know goal line uh, first down against or a touchdown against Rice fourth and goal? You know what I mean? But. If you start looking at this team now, which we it's clear they still have an offensive identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And I brought this up, you know, at the start of the season. Not start of the season, when Tom Herman was hired, I should say. When he hires Tim Beck, and I said, man, they still have an offensive identity crisis. Now, we assume that they are going to remedy that. They're going to resolve it. They're going to have an identity. But they still don't. No. They've had an offensive identity crisis on the 40 acres since 2010. Yeah. And Deontay Foreman was the only kind of short-term solution for him. Like, it, it, yeah, it was the, well, the identity is he's a he's a he's going to be an NFL starter <laughs> at one point. I think he probably start before it, the season's over. That you wasn't know? even that they thought that was some revelation. They had to go to Deontay yeah. Foreman because Chris Warren got hurt. They didn't have a choice. And remember option. that Charlie didn't even want to do it. Charlie yeah, he was, wouldn't have done it if it was Charlie up to was him. Like, he Charlie wouldn't him. even let him start. Uh, you know, his mm-hmm. uh, his sophomore Second year. year yeah. yeah. Well, so it was they you're right. They kind of kind of fumbled and stumbled into an identity. Um, But that, to me, is systemic. It's so weird that some of the same issues, I think something is affecting this program, man. I hope I don't sound like I'm getting all, like, existential here, but we got three different coaches now that have come through the 40 acres in the last seven years or so. At the end of Max tenure, Charlie Strong, and now Tom Herman. All those guys are really good coaches. We agree. Texas is a different job altogether, though, in terms of expectations. But aren't, don't you think now we're starting to just recognize the symptoms? Because we keep talking about the same issues, tackling, um, offensive line consistency, mm-hmm. quarterback issues now. We're back to quarterback issues all of a sudden now, apparently. Um, the lack of an offensive identity, defense, being an endangered species. And it's things that we were talking about at the end of Max tenure. We were talking about them all throughout Charlie Strong's tenure. Bad special teams now. Uh, Dual-threat quarterbacks. Killing Texas, which is something that goes all the way back to Mac. Same issues, and I wonder if now they're just symptoms. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if nobody has really ever truly diagnosed what happened to Texas football post-Colt McCoy. Yeah, because post-Colt McCoy, Texas is an average football program. 46 and 44, I believe. Barely over 500. Uh, since Colt McCoy's injury. And I want to say, so they, I think Texas is like 71 and 19 or something uh, the 90 yeah. games prior to Cole McCoy's injury and 90 games after their 46 and 44. Richard Justice, I think, threw the stat out there. My point being, somebody who's watching this, and I'm, I, I, I feel myself repeating the same damn things that I was saying yeah. like five, six years ago. Yep, I'm like, yep. But I was um, when Mac was on campus and we're still talking about guys can't tackle. You know what I mean? Like, what's I don't know. I, mean, I think something systemic is, is still going on in the program. We're just talking about the symptoms of it. But there's something bigger happening with this program. Like, it's lacking. Yeah. There's something missing. Like, those guys out there are athletic, but they don't have it. Like, they don't. They're not. Yeah. They don't have the edge. No. It's something. I'm like, what the? I don't get it. They don't even know how to win. Like, I don't understand. Even guys like Connor Williams and Malik Jefferson end up getting infected by it at times. And we know those guys are yeah, NFL players. Yeah, it's like players. back-to-back holding plays. And yeah. Maybe it's like graded it's, out better than anybody. I don't know what it is right now. All right, guys, let's step away real quick. But when we come back, we're looking at what went right and what went wrong for the Longhorns in their 51-41 loss to Maryland. We'll break it all down when we come back on Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Welcome back to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Once again, Jeff Howe. I want to stick with the offense, but to to, to the defense, because, Rod, I did the same thing. And and we'll go through it, and I think some of these issues are fixable. I know you talk about, well, it's fixable. Some of these issues are fixable, and there are some 
maybe concerns that we had in the back of our heads that I think are real problems for this football team. Yeah. But we'll get to those in a minute. But with the defense, it's some of the stuff that I, when I went back and watched the game again, because you know, you guys know when when you're in the press box, you don't really get to watch the game. You get yeah, you, kind yeah. of bits and pieces here yeah. and there. Going back and watching it, I found myself talking about the same stuff with Todd Orlando's defense that I was talking about with Manny Diaz. (laughs) And by that, I mean either this coaching staff completely is coaching these guys on the wrong thing to do or the guys on the field just have bad football IQs and can't do it. Can't do it. And that's yeah. what we talked about with Manny Diaz, right? We're, ba- we're, back to the, we're back to the disconnect on defense again. And what it mean, what they have to do, bring in Greg Robinson and simplify everything. Not saying they're going to bring in anybody yeah. else, but right. simplify things. Mm-hmm. Hell, even with Vance Bedford, remember that? Remember the old wristband thing? Yeah. That the guys apparently couldn't pick up the, the defense there, so Simple. they had to get them wristbands to make sure that everybody knew exactly what they were uh, their responsibilities were. So, yeah, I think you're right. It seems like we're going through this cycle. Yeah, and now I think we're back to it on defense. Rod, we're we're back to. I heard you on your show today, sticking with the defense, talking about defensive backs having eye control issues. Yeah, mm-hmm. our responsibility. The guys are terrible. I mean, the, the third nineteen, the first drive of the twenty ten Rice game, they point out Shockey Brown's eyes in the backfield, and yeah. then on a reverse on the very first drive yeah. of that one that I was watching this. You morning. know, I mean, yeah, third nineteen. I was, I mean, Chris Boyd, literally, I can, I see him playing off coverage now because I've watched it over and over again. He's staring in the backfield. Yeah, and his guy gives him a stem. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside stem for about five yards, goes up, uh, runs about 10, and then to the corner. And he gets on the top of Chris Boyd. Chris Boyd actually goes, like, underneath and then ends up going around the guy um, to try to tackle him because he's so lost in the backfield. I'm like, I wonder at the beginning of that snap, what is he thinking to himself? Like, what is your thought process when the ball is snapped and you know what your responsibility is? How can you end up lost in the backfield that, that often? Yeah, no, right? I mean, it was set up a couple times when you saw a good runs dives and then it's the play, play action right over, the over top. there exactly and you know we talked to all of our listeners have th- heard us just sort of throw out how we've seen the de-evolution of Texas fandom and how it had always been a hope-based fan base that had looked forward to the young guys coming in and in Texas you always thought we're gonna win and if you were a 10-win team it was a losing season but then how it evolved to becoming a fear-based fan base where the players you actually now whenever somebody's out you're worried that the next yeah. play placement's just going to be worse. Well, it sort of made me start thinking about this team and the locker room culture that they had been around too, because there still had always been when you were a young guy or something, say from your era, Rod, there had been that hope and the players had had upperclassmen that won. Even like, say, when you had the opening struggles when you were there, you talked about, you know, after the rookie year, you still had veterans like Hampton. You had Leonard Davis, these guys in the locker room that had at least had some success. And then you at least, when this losing streak started, it was like, oh, 10, 11, 12, these guys, you had those upperclassmen, they're in there, they can really you know, keep that culture of winning, or at least be it, they have somebody in there that has to done it, it, but around. then when you yeah. look at the record of the team now, and you're down to last three seasons, 6-7, and 5-7, seven, 5-7, and 5-7, seven, and seven, now the players literally, it's almost as if they have that fear-based mentality, or a lo- loser's mentality, because it's all they know oh, as yeah. their, envi- you're only what you are, or, of your environment and surroundings and your behavior, you not, might not even know that it's developed from those circumstances, but when everybody looks back at their childhood, they realize what influenced them and mm-hmm. what these things. So it may be even deeper than, like you said, on the existential level. Like you look at what the definition I wrote down habit because at first you had it was Coach Herman talking about the team. Oh, I think well the main issue was they were just pressing or trying to be perfect or trying to be more reckless. A habit quote is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. And when you think about this now, the way that he's saying they're pressing or processing. And maybe the pressure of the situation that you know that, man, we lose, we can't win this, we got to win this game, we can't lose. It's sort of like how you lost to Kansas in that game that you knew everything's on the line, but it almost makes you avalanche in the bad direction and it doesn't fuel your motivation, but the pressure. And these are all different from every person, all personalities, 85 of them in the locker room. You don't know which ones are those personality types or what, but then whenever the whole locker room becomes used to one situation, it may be able to make it just yeah. devolve in that re- I mean we talk about if you're a half second slower or a, p- a tenth of a second it turns a four or five or four six guy into a four seven four eight guy that's how Maryland maybe looks faster than you because you are on your heels or you're diagnosing instead of reacting and just becoming confident and confidence sort of is intertwined with those instincts if you have it yeah. and it just seems as if it, it's just devolving to that fear mentality of the bad thing happening instead of having that not creeping into your 
conscience. Aside yeah. from the losing, though, Rod, I want to I want to get with you on this because this is something that I noticed live, and then when I watched the, the replay of the game, speaking defensively, it seemed like guys just when in doubt go back to bad habits. Yes, they do. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. why their habits. It's something no that question. it's almost that it's like, just rooted in. I you. know, I know. Todd Orlando has taught these linebackers how to properly engage yeah. a blocker yeah. and disengage, and how to take right the proper angles. And you see some of this. I'm like. Especially, I don't like picking on individual guys, but there were some angles Anthony Wheeler took to the football that I'm like, where where on earth were you coached to do that? Yeah, you weren't coached to do that. Yeah, you're just you're guessing, and that's that's what I put on the players is the coaches didn't do the players very many favors in this game, especially defensively in terms of how they were set up and what they were asked to do. But the players didn't do themselves any favor because on especially in some of those third down packages, looked like guys were just guessing. I agree with that. Yeah, it, it looks like the guys and maybe Maryland. Like I said, Maryland did a good job. They, their game plan offensively. DJ Durkin's staff won the chess match with Tom Herman's. No question. I mean, I love what they did uh, offensively. They started using you know twenty personnel, two backs in the backfield, split backs with the shotgun. You know a lot what they of ran? Right? Yeah, you know what they ran? Yeah. It was a triple option. Yeah. It was just from the shotgun. It was just from the shotgun to split back. But it mixed the linebackers up. The linebackers kept misdiagnosing the plays <laughs> and running to the wrong gaps. That happened on offense, of too. Offensive line had a lot of just misdiagnosis, and yeah. there's a free runner coming. Exactly. That so, cross-buck action in the backfield, man. I mean, it's it's like it's going like simple high school offenses. Like, it, mm. it really is because you see it like, oh, it's shotgun spread. No, man. It's like teams running the slot T, and you've yeah. got cross-buck action. You've got backs going all different directions, and, yeah, it messes you up. If you start guessing instead of reading your instead keys. Instead of reading the keys, exactly. Like, coaches aren't stupid. They, they're they telling you your keys for a reason. Yeah. Because that's, that that, that's going to help you make the play. Yeah. But when you start guessing and, and anticipating and just not paying attention and, you know, we'll get into, like, your will to win maybe waivers a little bit and you, you do start pressing, it's just guys just went back to bad habits. And I, I wonder how much of it is new system. Guys just don't know the system. Uh, they're not comfortable yet. They may know it, but they're not comfortable yet in the system. And they're still, as, as Matt points out, they're reading, diagnosing more so than react uh, because it's, it's all new to them. I'm hoping that is the case. If that's the case, they'll, I hope get, so too. they'll yeah. be exponential improvement. But we've, we've been here before, new DCs <laughs> in the past, and said the same thing and saw very little improvement. I'm I'm just surprised that, you know, the defense, because of all the veterans on the defense and all the experience, that they weren't the ones. And we kept hearing the defense is ahead of the offense. Defense dominated this scrimmage. Well, I think we know defense why now, don't scrimmage. we? Well, yeah, we know yeah, The now. offense is impotent. I think we got some evidence. Yeah, well, exactly. I think that, yeah, you're right. They were, it's kind of a false. Somebody's got to win if they're both bad. Yeah, it's a false perception. Yeah. By the way, can I just add that? It's sort of offense. like, and this is just like what uh, we heard from Mac before the 2010 season about that defense dominating and it was more so that that defense was dominating a, bad a very bad offense because we heard yeah. that exact same and he, thing. He, and he did say the offensive line, the defensive line, were the strengths, I believe, of the oh, teams. Don't yeah. mind and, 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 no, it goes to your point, maybe yeah. because they were both bad. Not yeah. Actually, maybe, maybe they're the weakest parts of your team. Teams. And they just get – That's just just, really bad for I mean? the offensive line. And they're just really then. bad. Like, could just, that could be the case. Yes. Yeah. Like, and I, then, like, when you talk about uh, – I think it was Herman who even volunteered this info at the very beginning of the press conference today, but he said – that he thinks this is the brightest group of kids he's ever been around. So if that is the case, you would think that, like you said, they could easily remedy these issues ah. and easily could maybe pick up the system. But it also, I think, if they're that bright, it can also cause an overthinking of a situation that may be causing you to be a little more hesitant because you're trying to make sure you're perfect and you mess up already because you can't think There's out there like that. There's something to that, Rod, because you, as long as you played this game, you probably played with guys that book smart. They were awesome. They were yeah. off the charts. No question. You know, graduated magna cum laude or whatever, Mm -hmm. just honor roll students, honor students, whatever. But the guys that their brain works way too fast, and you're like, quit thinking. Oh, the yeah. perfect example just is like react. the book Moneyball. Just go. Yeah. You listen to Billy Agreed. Bean, the number one overall draft pick, the basis of the book Moneyball. He's a guy that has all the skills and everything, and then his roommate Lenny Dykstra, the biggest meathead ever that just yeah. cares about partying and playing ball, and he's sitting there wondering, why are you reading those damn books? But the big downfall for Billy Bean was his own mind. He couldn't yeah, get out too, of himself, yeah. and somebody like Dykstra is great because he just goes through 
and whenever I was theorizing about this the other night, it was while I was watching Hook, Line, and Stuttered, and it was Casey and VY out there fishing with Ken Milam. And if you talk about those guys, they're guys that you aren't going to overthink it. They're going to go out there because they're going to kick your butt, and we're going to play football because we're Very football. True. And if you never had your confidence questioned, there's no reason to have it waver. But now we're with these players who maybe have had some confidence questioned, and it may be overthought in that situation. I, yeah, I, I do wonder if he's going to be able to get the guys to buy in. That's a question now. It's seriously a question. Okay, yeah. let, let's, let's... Yeah, because you had that whole not-our-guy coach. Yeah. Hold that thought real quick. I just want to mention in terms of being analytical and overthinking things that we've used the word erotic, <laughs> euthanize, and what was the one we just used? <laughs> Either way, I'm overthinking yeah. it using those things. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is very true. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, we've used, uh, <laughs> we've used some colorful language here on the Blitz so far. All right, guys, let's step away for a break. But when we come back, we're looking at some deja vu and how the heck we are in this position again talking about a possible quarterback controversy on the 40 acres and maybe for real this time. Talk about it on the other side on Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Welcome back to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Here again is Jeff Howe. I would love to sit here all day, but I guess we got to go ahead and get to offense based on where Let's we are at this point in the broadcast. But, Rod, you talk about schematic advantage and, and what you just described about Todd Orlando. That kind of reminded me of back in the day Greg Davis offenses. Like, oh. when you've got better personnel, you're just going to say, my guy's going to go beat your guy and, and we'll have at it. But you lose the schematic advantage, yeah. like you said, when you're facing Which like Which is why athletes. Oklahoma would beat Greg Davis all right. the time. You know what I mean? So going to the offense, um, this goes back to something I said earlier. I watch this game, Rod. I can't tell you what this offensive scheme is. I can't. It doesn't look like a power spread. It's not it doesn't a pro look spread. like a spread. No. It's. I don't know what it is. It looks like, like I said, it looks like the 2010 Texas offense where you're just kind of this mishmash of, well, what are we doing this week? Yeah. We're going to go five wide. We're going to go empty the whole time, <laughs> throw it 60 times. Great. Yeah. No, like, I'm with you on that. I, I was just trying to. I thought they would get into a rhythm. There was no rhythm to it. It seemed yeah, no so kind of arbitrary and just you kept waiting on, you know, oh, him to develop a rhythm with this receiver or see a certain set of plays or a concept of plays and go, oh, I see what they're working here. They're, yeah. you, I was able to see that last year actually with Sterling Gilbert's offense. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I see what he's working on here. I see the tent poles of the offense. I see the philosophical, like the concepts. I cannot tell you what this offense is based Based on and built on, and what they're trying to, uh, like what they're trying to take advantage of, what they're trying to exploit defensively. I couldn't, re- I, I couldn't figure it out. And come to find out after the game, we, we know that Tom Herman, they couldn't figure it out either. They were actually perplexed early on because Maryland showed them some looks they weren't ready for. Can I give you my theory on the offense Saturday? No. I think after the first drive where Bouchelle comes out and gets sacked on the first play, which I'll get to Bouchelle in a second because I've got a different take than I think a lot of people have today or that some people have today. Bouchelle gets sacked, and they have a short run play, and then he throws the interception. Bouchelle. I, I think they panicked. I think they panicked, and whatever they planned on doing, they just ditched it, and that plan went out the window, and it was just kind of a mishmash of what's going to work on the, what do we think is going to work on this drive. Uh, it's I, I don't know why. Um, they put so much on Shane Bouchelle after clearly observing the offensive line couldn't pass block. That's why I thought that if your theory is right, they panicked, which is actually a good theory because that makes more sense. That's all I got right now. Why everything kind of why, – why they just threw the running game out the window. But when you figure out, oh, man, we can't really block these guys for some reason. Offensive line is terrible, and they're holding. And it was some holding calls that went – that did not get called either. A ton of them. I'm yeah. on Connor Williams too. Um, why not go back to the running game or go back to something to supplement the running game? The tight end is an issue, too. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it, but with this new zone blocking scheme they're running, tight end is an issue, man. It's the another body well, out there needs to be able to per- be productive if you're going to use it as yeah. one of your 11 because the other offense was using their 11th player as another offensive weapon, yeah. and they skewed the numbers. If you're conceding it on the other side and playing almost 10 versus 11, that's not going to be a good success. The tight end was exploited on on numerous occasions. Rod, I don't think it's that they're a zone-blocking team. I think they had to go to zone because the times they did try to run some counters, there was way too much penetration that they're like, screw that, we can't we can't do that. Interesting. Okay. That ain't going to work. Yeah. Because Tom Herman's sort of offense, like zone from you what I've seen, it's a, lot of ca- it's a lot of counters and powers and pulling guards and guys kicking down and, you know, you kick down block and you pull the guard, so that little G they play. They not move anybody uh, off the line of scrimmage. I think That's they, good because your so DBs can't cover man-to-man. I think man they man. didn't have – I think a lot of the issues on offense was a staff that panicked and just went with what they thought was best. 
what they thought they could do to get by. That makes sense. Because none of what I saw looked like what I've seen from Tom Herman's offenses at U of H or Ohio yeah. State or anywhere else he's been. Very but true if, about that. If, and I, that's a good point because it, it kind of looked like that. Like It looked like they were freestyling out there. If that is the case and you can abandon your – philosophy that quickly and i give you credit for trying to you know be malleable and you know change it up and you know try to be evolve all right with whatever the game plan is but man i i am i I am flabbergasted then that he could not come up with something better number one better on the fly he's an offensive guru and number two, that that's your that's supposed to be your bread and butter. Your your mm. you're supposed to be able to teach that better than any other technique or yeah. any other philosophy. And you couldn't teach that to these guys. And it, it and you blew it up uh, within I don't know two quarters basically of bad football. Yeah, that's that's cause for concern. That Either way, it's tw- cause for concern. Just sort of popped in my head to think about it now. But what's the one thing sort of missed? Because you're talking about you know in the time of the moment with that offense, and it didn't look anything like a Tom Herman offense that we know. I did. The last I agree two with years. That. Well, I agree with the one that thing that missing, though, that was the other part of that head of that offense was Major Applewhite, who was a guy that he's aligned with football. He knows, and in the moment, I assume that he's going to be able to process and get out. I mean, he'd been doing it as a quarterback under like under duress, and then he's not with this team there to where I don't even know how much that component worked because they're all together with Herman, Beck, and Applewhite the I last know. couple of years. And so, then even at Ohio State, it's, it's Tom Herman's. It didn't look like that Tom Herman. Offense, him. But it's still Urban Myers yeah. offense. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, this is I hadn't the first thought about it until it's you Tom started. Herman's offense without either of those elements. You're right. And that's my a good only point. thing to dissect was well, what's point. missing to make it not look like that? And it's like Urban well, Major's Myers is missing. Major <laughs> so we'll see. That's um, a great point, man. That now you just freaked me out. Even more. Now, well, because like, we and that's a good hell. thing. It's one game. We don't know, and that's where the longer sample size will play out. But while we're sitting here trying to theorize, we're throwing every right. possibility out there because you have to figure out something going forward it just would be we can't just turn off the show we, and say, we've all right had, well, next week let's go we, we've had the holy s moments with offensive coordinators around here for for brian remember for brian harson i remember it vividly it was the, it was the ou game yeah it was the ou game where we're like oh man and yes the, the kansas game Kansas <laughs> game. Yep. i told myself i'm not gonna go there it's a five-year yeah. anniversary this fall don't remind me please and we're back to the same issue i love that now that is the kansas game and hey and who, you know, who was <laughs> a part of that the major apple was on that one. Which bad Kansas game are we talking about? The one we lost. That's the bad one. That's the worst one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one we win. The old one one. used to be the bad one. Yeah, I'm worried about Kansas this year for real. I'm worried again. I'm freaking out now. Okay. (laughs) So I want to talk about Shane Bouchelle. So I want to talk about Shane Bouchelle from this standpoint. Oh, man. If uh, and, and you guys can disagree with me, this is the fun of this show. Rod, we could have a Duke Thomas debate all over. Well, I thought you were getting into Rod Hurd. Oh, I'm about to get into this. Yeah. It's about to happen. I, if I and I've got, I've got to make the Texas ten, the list of the top ten players, and I might do a top five, bottom five, given how bad this game was. But if I'm making a list of the best players in this game, Shane Bouchel is my number one because I think, considering the circumstances, considering. You he well I don't care if it was design runs or scrambles or whatever he was your leading ball carrier with 15 carries I know he was crazy. sacked five times yeah. he threw it 53 times and just kept coming back and coming back and in person I felt this way watching after the game I felt it even more I can almost live with the bad stuff he did because the stuff he did to keep this team in the game even when I didn't know what they were doing offensively. I thought Shane Bouchel was the reason that this offense scored and the reason Texas didn't lose this game by 20 or 30 instead of 10. Yeah, I think the criticism against Shane Bouchel is unfair. Um, I think the coaches put him in a really tough position by you know pretty much abandoning the running game and putting the entire game in on his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no pun intended there. I know he's got the shoulder injury. And he might have played the whole thing with the shoulder because he got yeah, pissed up on that first exactly. drive into the ground. So that I'm one not sure how long he played with it. That's I, a really well, good I'm point. convinced he played the whole cow game last year with concussion, if that's dropping well, something else. So he, no, he's tough. I, I love yeah. Shane Bouchard. I think he's great. I know a lot of people are wondering about the, you know, the dual threat element. We know Tom Harmon can say it all he wants. <laughs> but here's the thing that aggravates me about that. Why are people just now realizing that Shane Bouchard is not a fit for Tom Harmon's office? I knew that when he was hired in November. No, this is, I, I think a lot of people knew that. I think a lot of people knew that. Why are that? people just like, well, you don't have a dual threat quarterback? Really? Because I could have told you during the first spring practice that Shane Bouchard is not a dual threat quarterback that can run off. He has functional mobility. 
ability. Exactly. Yeah, which he can move around, but he just and he's too slight for you to, for him to be running that much. This is why this yeah. is the this is the downside of having him run as many times. He as He looks did. like redshirt freshman Colt McCoy because yeah, he, he's in his second exactly. year. It's that this same shouldn't be some not, big revelation. Oh my God, Shane Bouchel's not a fit in the offense. People, you should have thought about that in November. No, no, no. I think people evident. did. I yeah. did. This is why I I was preaching I think he's still just that Gerard Hurd should not be a wide receiver. I I thought it was an irresponsible decision then. It's an it's an irresponsible decision if they leave him there now. He should have been at wide receiver as soon. He should have been pulled from wide receiver and put at quarterback as soon as Tom Herman got on the forty acres because you needed quarterback depth. And not only that, we just know skill set wise that there's more synchronicity, if you will, between the Tom Herman philosophy and the skill set of a Gerard Hurd, a true dual threat quarterback. Even though he may not be uh, experienced and I would say at adept at reading defenses, but you know, and Sam Ellinger, more of a dual threat quarterback. And yeah, you got to have the freshman growing pains with him, but those guys fit Tom Herman's scheme better than Shane Bouchel does because Tom Herman, based on his history with quarterbacks, he likes dual threat quarterbacks. His offenses are most successful with a dynamic element, uh, running element at the quarterback position. I refuse to believe, here's what I refuse to believe, and Rod, we talked about this last week, that Tom Herman just went into this blind without looking at the, the possibility of could we move Gerard Hurd to quarterback and what would that look like? It was like? irresponsible. No, I, I agree with Rod just on the idea that you know how much that quarterback position's needed to win in just the game of modern football, not to mention so the you're saying So you're saying he didn't look at it? Well, no, no, that he did look at it. I just think that he maybe didn't fully weigh the idea that the depth needed at one when you have 10 guys exactly. here and you don't have three here. Yeah. And even though he may be worse off than Ellinger and Bouchelle right Right now, it's still worth having because us as Texas fans in this fear-based mentality know that you need three quarterbacks because we've had three before and you don't have any. So I at least can see. But then we don't we weren't there. So if he isn't performing well, it could also indicate as to why he moved him back to wide receiver. But it's still that he better have a quick gauge on that backup quarterback sure. and be able to adapt to it. Otherwise, it's going to be a very bad decision if he isn't prepared. Gerard Hurd at this point is a boutique player. He is a wildcat quarterback. He's not going to give you... But he's like, our third quarterback. That's all. That's, that, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fact because okay, of, so of what your situation point. is. That's not like but, some big revelation. We're talking about that's the, the fragility of the situation. You should have had him working quarterback. You don't need him at wide receiver. Scenario, I'm looking be at him playing wide receiver. receiver. You're, he's not even out there that much playing wide what receiver. I think, Rod, You're yeah, so deep there. I think they've yeah. already looked at it and said, you know what? The package Gerard Hurd could handle in this offense is so thin anyway that let's just give him those eight plays and whether he's a starting quarterback all of a sudden or just a specialty player that's going to be the extent of what he can run so you're saying no, they just punted basically if it's not Bouchelle or Ellinger we're going to suck so they're only going to let him be the emergency third it's not no it's not saying that you can suck I'm saying they probably looked at it and say this is what he can handle within the framework mm-hmm. of the offense this is what he can handle that, let's say he that's can do true this. Mm-hmm. let's say that's true and I, and I agree with you my point was the transition to wide receiver is easy for him. He can do it in a month. Yeah. Any damn offense, it doesn't matter what offense it will be. He could do it in a month. He really could. So why are you wasting that his, reps. his why are you wasting like, valuable reps in the offseason at wide receiver when he could transition to wide receiver overnight? We all seen him do it. Because you know quarterback in a new system, as you pointed out, he's not really comfortable in that system. He's gonna need more reps in a new system. So why not let him play quarterback now? Because First game of the season, you already need him to now actually take quarterback reps. So those eight plays, why not let him perfect them? Why not just why you just gave it to him? And go play wide receiver. By the way, say these eight plays and make sure you know them for quarterback. Why not let him perfect those eight plays at quarterback so that when you need him, like you need him right now, like I told you you was gonna need him. <laughs> I told you this, Tom. And everybody knew this. This was not some shock. If you study history on the 40 acres, I could have told you you're gonna need all them quarterbacks, bro. You're gonna need every last one of them. Mm-hmm. Every last Last one, you gonna need him. We know this. Ever since 2010, 2011, yep. this has been the case. You won a you won a national title with your third string quarterback because of issues similar to this, Tom. Really, because like his- really. All right, it is time to wrap this thing up and put it in the oven, and we will do that on the other side as we close down another adventure on Longhorn Blitz with Horns 247.com. Hey, it's Larry. Thanks for calling, but I'm buried in books at the library right now trying to figure out what all these hidden fees are on my mobile bill. State fees, federal fees, administrative fees, NTS surcharge? What the heck is an NTS surcharge? If you know, could you please leave a message? Well, do I need a switch? Getting buried in hidden fees? Switch to Boost Mobile, where your taxes and fees are now included on all plans. Plus, get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE per line for just $50. All on the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. 
With MetroPCS, you'll spend $5 more and only get 2 gigs. Sorry, MetroPCS. Switch happens. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Offer ends 11-217. Primary line is $50 with second line $0 per month. The total sales price includes the charge for services, taxes, and fees. Requires one line to port in. Lines include unlimited talk, text, and data. Once high-speed data, alarm and reached. Speeds reduced to 2G speeds until next line cycle. Comparison based on MetroPCS's two lines for $55 per month. Two gigabyte plan as of 8-21-17. For additional details, visit their website. Coverage and offers not available everywhere. Restrictions apply. Geico presents a voicemail from your friend, Tree. Tree here. Just calling to say thanks for letting me crash at your place the other night. <laughs> well, on your place. It was a rough night. I had a bit too much wind, and I think I, I might have broke your chimney, actually. So, yeah. Um, oh, any chance you'd want to drop off my tire swing? Yeah. I mean, if not, that's cool. Okay, later. Trees won't pay for tree damage. Luckily, one call to the Geico Insurance Agency makes it easy to switch and save on homeowners insurance. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 1919 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 1919. Every legend starts somewhere. Your legend starts with FanDuel. On FanDuel, there's a fantasy football contest for every fan. Play for as little as a dollar or compete for a share of a million. And you can also win incredible fan experiences and tickets to the biggest games. FanDuel has options for every fan, even new players. Get started with beginner-only contests so you can take on other new players. Just choose the contest that's right for you, then build your team. It's simple. Every player has a different salary, and you can pick any player you want. Just stay under the salary cap. And with FanDuel Friends Mode, it's easy to set up a private league so you and your friends can play all season long. Since you pick a new team every week, there's no need to worry about season-ending injuries or draft busts. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code 1414. That's FanDuel.com, promo code 1414. FanDuel.com, promo code 1414. Voidware prohibited. Welcome to Geico's Motorcycle Meanderings. I sure saved a lot of money by switching to Geico. I scored some big savings, and now I can use their mobile app 24-7 for all sorts of stuff. Life just makes sense now. What doesn't make sense is why don't bikers order in drive throughs more often? Is it because the name drive through feels exclusionary? They should call it drive or ride through. But then I'd need three extra arms to hold my drink and burger and fries. Nah, I'm happy with just two arms. Geico Motorcycle. Savings that make sense. Blue Star medicated ointment works fast to relieve the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. It's amazing. It's like as soon as you put it on, you can feel it working. We've had Blue Star in the family for years. It works on everything. I love the cooling sensation on my athlete's foot. What a relief for my eczema. Nothing worked on my dry, cracked skin until I tried Blue Star. Blue Star is great for scalp itch. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Hey, it's Larry. Thanks for calling, but I'm buried in books at the library right now trying to figure out what all these hidden fees are on my mobile bill. State fees, federal fees, administrative fees, NTS surcharge? What the heck is an NTS surcharge? If you know, could you please leave a message? Well, do I need a switch? Getting buried in hidden fees? Switch to Boost Mobile, where your taxes and fees are now included on all plans. Plus, get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE per line for just $50, all on the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. With MetroPCS, you'll spend $5 more and only get two gigs. Sorry, MetroPCS. Switch happens. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Offer ends 11 Primary line is $50 with second line $0 per month. The total sales price includes the charge for services, taxes, and fees. Requires one line to port in. Lines include unlimited talk, text, and data. Once high-speed data, alarm and reach. Speeds reduced to 2G speeds until next line cycle. Comparison based on MetroPCS's two lines for $55 per month. Two gigabyte plan as of 8-21-17. For additional details, visit their website. Coverage and offers not available everywhere. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Here again is Jeff Howe. we got to get to some picks to close this. Picks! What's Boy. your prediction, senor? Boy, if this one goes the, the opposite way, then we might just cancel the blitz altogether. <laughs> Just get out of town, or just start drinking on the show. Just tell people what's going on up front. That we got a bottle. We got a bottle of Jack going around between the three of us. 
Oh, that's not a bad. Oh, yeah, we may actually. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, stay tuned. By the yeah. way, we might I'm have still some working news on that. coming up here yeah. uh, very soon. Um, I want to go with Texas. I'll say Texas wins thirty-four to ten. Oh, we don't know what's going to happen with quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. I think Texas wins thirty-eight to thirty-eight to. Thirty-eight to nine. I'm going to say no touchdown by San Jose State. Yeah, what's the spread on this? No touchdown. Uh, it's went, it started at twenty-six and a half. It went up to twenty-eight and a half earlier today, but then it's back down. I've seen anywhere twenty-eight to twenty-seven. Man, that's in that way range. too big. Um, yeah, I think I, actually I'll go. Yeah, I'll change. My, I'll go thirty-eight to seventeen. Because I, I yeah I, I don't think I'll this go. Texas, I'll defense, go. That would be it's, it's shaky. Yeah, I'm going to go San Jose State to cover. Yeah, San Jose. I'll go San Jose State to cover. Nice. And yeah, I think I got 21, so I'm close to them, co- yep. co- got them covering. I'm at, tw- I'm at 24. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Texas offense may be a little bit more improved, but definitely not one if, to cover if, a poor touchdown. Depending on what happens with Bouchelle, I mean, I don't know. That's a good Very question, true. too. That's what we don't know. And that will affect the line, I'm sure of it. It mm. might already be affecting the line. Yeah, possibly it is because it did come back down after being way back up. Half the public's on San Jose State, too. But I'll take Texas to win 42 to 20. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would. If I'm trying to make some money, I think I'd put it on San Jose State. Yeah, I said to take Maryland last week. Yeah, you were. (laughs) (laughs) But then I was like, I I thought Maryland was as bad as San Jose State. I think that's an indictment. You guys realize in a week we've gone from being so optimistic to not expecting them to cover. I guess the team that coming into the year. I guess the team coming into the year, I thought, you know, they're right there with like, you know, Texas State and some other schools as far as maybe being the worst FBS team in the country. Well, they have familiarity, too. That's what's scary. They know our personnel big time. What, Andrew Souter? Andrew Souter was an offensive analyst at Texas last year. So, and uh, now he's their OC. San Jose State's going to be running the uh, veer and shoot. So he knows the personnel really well. Yeah. Yeah. He was Sterling's little right-hand man youngster that he had hired on, basically. Sterling's if we're getting guy. into X's and O's discussions where we're worried about San Jose State knowing personnel. <laughs> yeah. We are. I am. I'm we worried. just lost to Maryland in a game that we're about as favored as much as this one. It's a touchdown difference. Exactly. It's about 19 or 26 yeah, points. Yeah. It's and that yeah. was at home against you. Yeah. The hell has happened. Be one big. The hell has happened in one week. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, we drank it's, the Kool-Aid. This is what happens when we drink the Kool-Aid, man. It's those same the players that lost yeah. to Kansas two games ago yeah. were out there this past Saturday. That hangover from drinking that Kool-Aid is tough, man. That's a hell of a fall it's from like grace. It's like that cheap wine. Or like it is. Cheap, like it's like drinking that box wine. Or like mm-hmm. black velvet whiskey or something. Yeah. Like that. It's, it it sticks with you. The you cheap might stuff, yeah. You get that cheap stuff. It's in like the plastic. Deluxe. Yeah, you wake you up sweating. <laughs> yes. Uh, dry heaving. It's, yep. like, it's like when I used to drink McCormick's vodka and orange juice back uh-huh. in the day. There yes. you go. The cheap stuff. That's what it is. That's what that drink, that burn orange Kool-Aid One been. good thing, Texas fans can sort of get a little bit of tailgate in this time. I hate 11 a.m. games. I didn't even go down there. I was very happy that I didn't go to the game after seeing what happened and all, but I would have been very upset if I spent like 100 bucks <sighs> Matt, to go see that. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome, Rob, you appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Mad for Rod for Travis, best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at 1049, the Horn, Craig Way, Bucky Godbo, Aaron Hogan, Chad and Kevin, everybody, Trey, BK, everybody up here. Great relationship we've got with the 1049, the Horn family. We are happy to be here. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24 7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.